Hey, product people, welcome to the Product to Profit podcast. We're pulling back the curtain on what it's really like to scale a product-based business profitably and getting into the mindset of a seasoned buyer. I'm your coach, Kristen Fisher, a former corporate retail buyer with over 15 years of experience working for some major brands that you would definitely know, turned six-figure e-commerce store owner of my own gifting brand, Boku, and a retail strategy coach for product-based business owners, just like yourself. Inside this podcast, I have honest conversations about what's going on inside of my own business. And I'm also sharing insights to help you get inside the mindset of a buyer to start applying big retail strategies to your own small retail business. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so honored. I have my marketing mentor turned friend and biz bestie, Carrie Fitzgerald here with me today. Carrie helps e-commerce businesses create wildly in-demand brands that their customers are obsessed with. She's also the host of a top 100 marketing podcast, the Six Figure Product Business Podcast. And she does so many cool things in her business. I'm so impressed by you and you have a really cool story. So I'm very happy to have you here today. So welcome to the podcast, Carrie. Thank you so much. What an amazing little intro. So thank you. It's very easy to introduce somebody that is as like proficient as you, you are just, you do so many cool things. And I feel like this conversation is going to be, we're going to have to really like hold it together because Carrie and I Voxer a lot. Like when I say biz bestie, I mean, we are on Voxer a lot and I feel like we have become such good friends and I'm going to forget that we're recording. So I'll try and rein it in, but I would love for you to just introduce yourself and tell the listeners about your background and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I, um, just to skip through some of the old stuff, I had a, you know, corporate marketing career and I worked in international education. So I basically got paid to travel around and stay in fancy hotels and drink lots of alcohol and eat lots of food. (laughs) And I did that for, um, off and on for a while. And then I had a baby about, well, he's about to turn eight. And I just like wanted something different. I was like, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for a new adventure. And I was literally at the gym and I got an idea. I should start my own. I want to start a subscription box business. I had never even considered starting a business before. The idea just literally zapped into my brain. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a great idea. I should do my, I should start my own business, of course. Cause what person postpartum, you know, had a six month old baby decides that the best thing they should do is start a business. Like no one. So I literally thought about it for a couple of days. I was like thinking about what niche, what industry I had just had a baby. So I'm like, oh, I'll do like a baby box. And I researched and I was like, I'm not feeling it at all. That's not like, that's not the one. And then I said, okay, pet. I love the pet industry. I have, you know, multiple dogs now, but at the time I had my beloved black lab mix Asha. And I was like, you know, when I, when she was a puppy, I'm giving you way too much backstory here, but it'll be quick. It'll be quick. Um, I was like, okay, when she was a puppy, I got her, um, bark box subscription box and I hated it. It was like the quality was crappy and I really didn't like how they, they gave like a really cheap everything and they gave her a a bandana in the first box. And I was like, this is literally the crappiest bandana I've ever seen. And so when I was thinking about what business I did to start, I thought back to that 
early days of when Asha was a puppy and she got this crappy subscription box. And I thought, you know what? I could do that, but I want to make it better. So essentially that was like my journey into entrepreneurship. I launched that business, I don't know, four months later, no idea what the hell I was doing. It was called the Dapper Dog Box. And I was like, whatever, I'll figure it out. Like I'm great at marketing. And of course that's not how easy it was. Um, But I grew that business, you know, just struggling, hustling, figuring stuff out, trying things. And I grew it to multi six figures in revenue. And then in 2019, I sold the business. That was literally the proudest moment really in my business journey of the last, you know, seven years was selling that business. And then just having this vision of like, okay, now I want to help people. I struggled through that damn business. I struggled through starting it, growing it, launching it, doing all the things that we have to figure out. Like, you know, how do you grow a business off beyond Instagram? How do you do email marketing? Oh, affiliate marketing, which program do I sign up for? How much commission do I give? Like there's so many things and moving parts that you don't know what to do. So I had this vision of like, okay, I've sold my business. I want to help people start or grow their uh, e-commerce or, you know, product-based business. And so that's kind of what I've been doing now for the past three years. I've done a variety of things and I've pivoted and I've changed directions. And essentially, uh, like my sweet spot is helping e-commerce online stores direct to consumer, really nail down customer loyalty, organic marketing, traffic without doing advertising. And so that's kind of what I do now. I have a podcast, as you mentioned, I have YouTube, I kind of dabble in a lot of things. I'm definitely multi-passionate, like wearer of many, many hats and a weird person who loves spicy food, dogs, hot sauce, metal paddle boards, (laughs) and pretty brands. You love metal paddle. (laughs) I love it. That's me in a nutshell. You are literally the definition of a multi-passionate business owner. And I think some people say that and they have like two businesses and they're like multi-passionate. Well, yeah, that's multi-passionate, but you are, it's impressive. You're always coming up with cool business ideas. You have such a knack for finding white space and just digging into it and then putting it in a folder and thinking, maybe I'll do this later. (laughs) Maybe I'll start this other business later when I have a minute to think about it. Can we talk a little bit? about your dapper dog box experience because you know for me I went from corporate retail as a buyer into what feels like a more natural step of also being crazy and starting a side business product business while I was also working full-time and I'm like why didn't I just pick up painting or something instead of starting a business? So I was laughing when you said something similar to yourself but for me I'm so curious about that leap from the marketing world into a product world because it feels like such an unknown thing. So what was your biggest hurdle going from marketing into managing a product business? Like everything. I don't think there's one hurdle. I think it is, it was such a leap and I was so cocky. And here's the thing. Like when I I remember texting, I was living in Southern California at the time. I texted my best, one of my best friends and I was like, okay, I'm starting this business. I was like, I'm great at marketing and I love dogs. Like how hard could this be? I've literally texted her that and I will, that text message will stay in my, etched in my brain forever because it's, you can look back at yourself seven years later and be like, what a freaking idiot. Like you were an idiot for thinking that it was not easy at all. And you know, like I'm very against the like bro marketers and people on YouTube and all these people on Instagram that are like, I can help you make eight figures in three days with drop shipping. I can help you do this. And like these coaches and all this crappy people try to bypass the hard work that goes into it. And we can all say, oh, we're anti-hustle culture and all this. But like, it takes work. 
it takes grit. It takes hustle. It takes perseverance. And like you, if you just think you're going to show up and start selling shit, doing no work, you're mistaken. So anyway, um, my point here is I'm totally rambling. I think the biggest hurdle was, I think the beginning stages, I think there's two hurdles. I'll, I'll say two. I think the beginning stages of launching all the unknowns, like now I'm like, oh, of course you, why would you not go with Shopify? That's stupid. You know, like I'm such a Shopify snob, but back then I had no idea. I didn't know. And so I think it's all the unknowns. I didn't hire a coach or work with, you know, do a course to learn how to launch a business. I had to suffer through and figure everything out and spend time Googling. To be honest with you, I loved every second of it. So I will say that that's, part for me, I loved. I did not love once the business was running. And then I didn't love all the like Googling and figuring it out. But the first part, it was because it was new. It was exciting. I was like, oh my God, I get to like build a website. I get to like, I was so excited. I was, you know, there's no, and you know, to be honest with you, there's really no change from then and how I am now with new business ideas. I'm just as like, it's like a kid in a candy store. Um, I get really excited. So I think that was a hurdle was just figuring stuff out. And I remember I was in one Facebook group. I hate Facebook groups. I was in one group. It wasn't even about the product world or e-commerce. It was just like this entrepreneur group that I found. And I posted, guys, I have my landing page. I have like a few memories that just are etched in my brain forever. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm launching this new pet business. I'm so excited. I have my landing page to start getting email addresses, I would love to know what you think. And I was really excited. And this, the person who owned the group, and he's actually quite known, Rohan something. I think he's like pretty well known. He wrote, the only person who will ever buy your product is your mom. That's it. Like no one will ever, this, this is like the worst landing page I've ever seen. No one will ever buy your product except your mom. And I literally started crying and I <laughs> no, he was just look, he was direct. And I, you know, I take the same approach today. Like I'm very direct with people. And I'm like, look, your website sucks. But I can help you fix it. Like I can help I can make it better. For you. But I don't really think like there's I think you can be nice. I think the delivery is very important. And I have probably insulted people and I don't mean to but like, he did me a favor that day. He made me realize my landing page was horrible and it needed to be switched. So I think like those stories are really important because you kind of don't know what you don't know. And it's really important to surround yourself with people who do know and they can give you advice. So if I had launched the business with this crappy landing page and that, I would have had no email addresses and who knows where the business would have gone. But I took his advice and I was like, oh yeah, you're right. And I made it better. And then from there, just the learning curve. So I think that was the biggest hurdle was just the unknown of launching a business. You don't know what you don't know. I made a lot of mistakes. I spent a lot of money. I hired a website developer. I don't even know where I found this guy because I thought, oh, I need to have this custom website, which you don't. Shopify, CrateJoy, all the places, if you're doing subscription or not, they all have themes you can buy. And I was like, oh, I need this custom website. You do not need a custom website when you're like, you have not validated your idea. I had not made a single penny in sales, but I hired this guy and 50, I think it was like 1500 or $2,000 later, he basically had done almost nothing for me. He'd be like, oh, he emailed me, oh, I'm just testing some colors. And after that, I was like, you're like, we're, this is done. Like no more, I can't afford you. Then I had to figure out how to build the website. So I think just like things like that were the biggest hurdles. And I think the second hurdle, um, was kind of like once you get traction, figuring out how to do more, make more money, get more sales, 
without working 7 million hours a day, you know? So I think that hurdle of, okay, the business is growing, I'm making sales, but I'm also working a lot. I'm burning myself out and I don't really know, I don't really know what to do to increase my sales without like working myself into a grave. So I would say those were two huge hurdles that I had in the business that, that, you know, they take time to figure out. But I think the second one is a really important hurdle because that's what a lot of people face. I mean, everyone I talk to in my programs, that's the struggle. Like once your business is growing, that doesn't mean that like you're going to become a millionaire. You have to figure out systems. You have to figure out how do I take stuff off my plate and outsource and hire a team to do stuff for me so I can stay in my zone of genius. So those things I just weren't aware of. And I'm aware of them today, but back then I wasn't aware. So I think I struggled through and suffered through I have to do everything in the business. There's no one who can pack a box better than me. I know you probably have the same thoughts, but literally like I couldn't trust, I couldn't trust people to even pack a goddamn box for me. I was like, no, I only I can do it. Only I can put the postcard in the perfect position on the top. Like it was so stupid. So I'm dying laughing. Well, I think that there, there are different phases on the roadmap of building a business from scratch. And the first one is just figuring out what you're even doing. And that is part of the beauty of it. I think you do, you can have people help you to make it a little bit easier for you, but I do think you kind of have to go through that because it's, it helps you to fully understand your business inside and out. And you start to see holes or areas that you need some more support with. And once you start to recognize that it's okay, now I have that kind of down pat. And then the next phase is, okay, I'm hitting this next growth spurt. Here are the pain points that come with that and working yourself through that. And I've definitely personally gone through the exact same thing. I loved the beginning, writing the business plan, doing the research, figuring out Shopify and all the things. And then you hit this point and you're like, I can't keep doing this. I have to move on past the Googling phase and then you hire a coach. But whenever I, I don't want to say there were no retail resources for products like small businesses whenever I started. But I really, if there were, I was not aware of them. There are very few people that I think help product businesses specifically. It's really like the coaches and service industry, service provider industry rather. And I think now there are more people out there that help. But I think you and I kind of, we started our businesses during similar times and it was like, you just have to figure it out and grind it out. <laughs> I wish I had a you in the beginning because marketing was is not my area of expertise. And that's like what I needed help with. The learning journey, I should call it, is I think an interesting one. And I am learning to let go of my box. I'm not learning. I've learned it. I'm past it. But I feel you so deeply with the perfectionism around your product. And if you're a maker and you're making something, I think it's 10 times worse because you are so, you're the creative genius behind making your product. So yeah, so invested in it. It becomes more personal. I think when you do have a a brand like that, where you're making the products versus if they're manufactured, but it's very hard to let go. And I think a lot of people who start businesses naturally have a level of probably being a control freak and it can be really, really hard to let that go. I mean, I have so many conversations with people in my programs where I'm like, you have to stop doing that. That is, get that off your plate, outsource. Well, and we will be really so t- like close to it and really obsessed with the level of detail that we're putting into something. And I think sometimes when you step back, you're like, that's actually, you don't need to be so hyper-focused on this thing. Somebody else can do that for you. Your zone of genius needs to be where you spend your effort and your time. 
I, I know that this isn't the focus of this episode, but I really want to talk a little bit about you selling your business. I think that is so badass that you did that. And I would love to know if you, cause I don't think you started your business with the intent to sell. So if you were to go back and start Dapper Dog Box with the intention to sell Dapper Dog Box, what would you have done differently in the beginning? Oh my God. I love this question. I love it so much. So I did not have the intention of selling. Like I said, I literally started this business like, oh, this will be so fun. I was going through a hard time after having a baby. And like, honestly, this idea I think was like, oh my God, I I so I can control something. I think when I think back of it, I think that's one of the reasons that this idea was so appealing to me. But I think in the end, this was totally meant to be because now I can't imagine not doing all these things. It's It makes so much sense. So anyway, when I started, I did not intend to sell. It didn't even like occur to me or cross my mind. I will say if I was starting another product business today, I would only start a product-based business today to sell it. If I thought this is not sellable, it's not scalable to sell, that I would not choose that product. So I'm just going to say that. Um, if I could go back and do something different, I mean, I don't even know where to start. I think first off, you have to have a business model that is scalable. So I had one business, but it was sort of split into two. One was a monthly subscription box. And then one was more like e-com. I, I mean, e-commerce subscription, they're similar things. And I think pro- like we, we sort of interchanged those words. You're selling products online to a consumer. If that's what you're doing, it's kind of e-commerce. So I would also sell and manufacture dog bandanas. So I manufacture them overseas. I would sell those. I would also put those in the boxes. So I kind of did two different things. I sold one-time products and then I had my subscription box. So when I started this subscription box, I was like, okay, we're going to customize this is like, again, bonehead, bonehead 101. Um, we're going to customize everything for everyone. So when someone signed up for my subscription box, they could actually leave a note. I, I almost don't even want to admit this because this is such a big mistake, but I think it's good to be transparent. <laughs> and I'm like an open book. I'll tell you whatever. I would have people like write notes in about their dog so they could basically tell me my dog is, um, she only eats grain free treats only with peanut butter or like only meat treats. She loves plush toys. She hates rubber balls and she, you know, she's 60 pounds or something. And then I would actually put things in specifically for that dog. So I can look back now and say that model is garbage. Like, no, we'll never do that. It's fine when you're starting small. And like, I don't mean customization. Like I know you sell boxes with specific things. Like that is a personalized thing, but it's different. Like people are ordering that thing. Those are curated. You can create that product. You can have a hundred of those packed in a warehouse ready to go. My thing was like getting an order, looking at the customer's note and then being like, oh, okay, we need this, this, and this, and this. It was so unscalable. It was so unscalable. Well, you're using, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was just going to say you, with that model, you have to use your brain power with every single order. You have to say, let me think about this creatively. Whereas for me, you know, there is that component of customizing each gift box where people can build their own Boku, but they are doing the work for me because they're picking or for the team, they're picking out the product that they want and all it is is pulling off the shelf. So there still is that it does make it challenging to scale. So I will admit that I'm in the scale challenge phase, but it's happening, making it work. But yours, that is tough to actually have to use your brain power with every order. And not only, but also let's just say two things too. Like you're also charging, 
if people buy a curated box versus this customized one, like you're also probably charging a lot more money for those things. And you know, it, it can be scalable totally because you're just taking things and put, putting them in a box. It's, it's like technically like a robot could do that for you. Right. But my thing was people would write a note and then I would, so not only did I have to think about that for their first order, but then the, the subsequent orders, because it's a subscription box. So I would go off of spreadsheet. I can't even tell you this. It makes me filled with anxiety right now talking about this. And when I consult with people now about starting a business, people will always say, oh, I want to do personalized subscription boxes. And I'm like, don't just do a different business. This is not scalable. Um, I would have to keep spreadsheets. And then when I went to fulfill the orders, I'd have to go and search through different spreadsheets. Did I already give them that toy? Did I already give them those treats? Um, and then the ex expectation from customers was that because of when I first launched it, and again, I'm gonna, I, I changed this model very quickly. I'll just also say that um, when people would, they would expect that because I asked them what your dog was like, that, that I'm going to give them exactly what they were asking for. Like my dog only eats grain free. She does not like cookies and she only likes rubber toys. So if I didn't give them those items, they would complain so I'm like, okay, this is this is crap. I need to not do this anymore. So I removed the personalization and I basically let people choose grain-free treat box or like regular, and then they would choose their dog's size. So then that was much better. Then I could give them like, okay, your dog is a medium. I'm going to give you a medium dog bandana. I'm going to give you all the regular things. So over time, I figured out ways to make it work, but it was not, it was not a good model from an inventory perspective from like, okay, I have to go back. This customer has been with us for a year. I have to give them like all new things. So it was just, it was kind of a disaster. It was a bit of a disaster in terms of fulfillment, packing and stuffing and all. And that's why I felt like I could never outsource it. That's the other thing. I always felt I can't, I only can do this. So I went from zero boxes to packing. Like I, I went up to, I think 600 six, I don't know, I forget, 600 monthly subscribers. Plus I had e the e-commerce. So people would order and I was growing a robust store. I also sold on Amazon. So I was not only selling the subscription side, but I was selling one-time things, treats, gift boxes. I also did these beautiful curated gift boxes, um, which were like my favorite things in the whole world. So it was like a lot of moving pieces. And I just myself did them from that first day until the day that I was packing up the shit to send off to the new buyer um, in Seattle at that point where we had moved. Um, so yeah, I think I would do things so differently. But I think the first thing is like, if you want to sell your business, profit is the most important thing. And I didn't have a, and I know we talked about this before, I did not have a profit first mentality. So when I actually came around to thinking about selling it, I then had to be like, okay, I really have to double down on profit, more profit, the most profit is humanly possible because that's what someone will pay for your business. They don't give a fuck about your Instagram account. Um, I mean, they do. It's an asset. But the most important thing is profit. The most profit you can possibly have. So if you're going to sell your business, how can I get a very profitable margin? So if you're thinking of like this model where, you know, your margins are super small or there's like way more opportunity to get higher margins or a customized subscription box, like, choose the one that's going to be easier to scale and make more profit. You know, in subscription boxes, people have expectation of they don't want to pay a lot for them. 
So like, you know, you're talking about gift boxes versus subscription box. Like people want to get free shipping. They want 5 million products for $10 versus a gift box, like from someone like you, where, you know, people will pay more money to get this beautiful custom box. So the subscription box model is not my favorite. I'm very vocal about how I actually don't like it. But those are two things I would do differently. I would not have that customized craziness. I would have one box as little customization or personalization as humanly possible. Everyone gets the same thing every single month. And that's it. I think like thinking about your business at every stage, thinking about your business as if it was double, triple, five times bigger than it was and thinking about setting systems in place that so that the second, let's just say you go viral on TikTok because someone's obsessed with the dog bandana and all of a sudden you need to sell thousands. That doesn't mean you need to have the inventory there, but are you set up so that you could put that many orders out? And then that mentality, I think, helps as you scale to be profit focused and streamlined because your time is also your money. And just thinking about a business that would be able to be perfectly packaged and handed off to somebody else doesn't mean that you're going to have it figured out in the beginning. But you know, I think that that's, those are really awesome tips. And I, I love talking about profit, obviously. So I feel like this is a perfect segue because I know I'll just say you mentioned bro marketers earlier, and I just have to go back to that for a second because <laughs> you and I have talked about this before, but it's, my favorite, it's like my favorite thing to make fun of. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm going to, I know I'm going to reserve. I want to hold, I'm going to hold myself back from just like laying into bro marketers. But what I'll say is I think especially right now on social media, everybody is talking or kind of using their revenue as this like key, this uh, validation of I have a six figure business. I have a seven figure business. All of, you know, all those like revenues numbers just thrown out there that actually don't really mean anything because they could have made $0 in profit. And (laughs) I feel like there are so many things that you can do in your business that are, you had mentioned earlier, not ads focused, where you're not spending a dime on ads to drive more profit in your business. So I'd love to just kind of talk, switch gears a little bit and just talk about some ways that people can be bringing more profit and more sales into their business without relying on social media that are profit focused. I love it. So there's so many things and I love the bro marketer conversation, by the way. Um, I feel like they just need to, they need to go away on like some Island along with the people that pitch you for their services. Like your website's terrible, but I can help you with copywriting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go in my rented private jet and on the way there, I'm going to hold a glass of champagne and tell you how you can work four hours a week and have a million dollar business. Like, I'm sorry, no, anybody that's telling you that is full of hot garbage. I agree. I agree. Maybe that's like another podcast episode. I love it. I love making fun of these people. Okay. So for growing your business without using advertising, this is like my favorite thing because that's what I did for, for my product-based business. I didn't use advertising and um, there's, uh, I'll mention a couple things because I could probably go down a rabbit hole of things here. Um, some of my favorite ways to grow a business, especially if you're newer, early stage or struggling, lean into your customers. Who's buying from you and how can I get those people to buy more from me? How can I get my customers to buy more from me more often? And how can I get my customers to refer friends and family? This, These are two of your easiest ways. This is a low-hanging fruit that so many people just gloss over. They're like, oh, no, I need to make... I need to spend three hours today making one reel. No. Email your fucking customers. 
and say, hey, like we, you know, you bought our, I'm just going to use someone, a product that's like sitting on my desk right now. Um, okay. Is it a metal paddle? It's not. That's in my garage, but I probably need to like hang one in my office so I can just like worship it every day because I'm obsessed. It's like, go, it's a little creepy. Like I need to kind of rein it in. But yeah, like it's just, so I'm, I'm going to use a cake top, a kid's cake topper because it's literally sitting on my floor for my son's birthday next month. So if you have a kid's cake topper business, such as Avalon Sunshine, um, who I bought it from, like if she was like, okay, I need to make sales. I don't want to use ads. I don't know what to do. What do I do? This is what I would tell her to do. I would say, go through your, you know, create an email and send to your email list, past customers, and just say, hey, like, you know, And there's a lot of things you can do with email marketing in terms of segmenting, in terms of like capturing people's information and then sending emails emails out that are automated that you set up one time where it's like, hey, um, we noticed that you bought this kid's cake topper, um, I don't know, a year ago or eight months ago. That means you have a birthday coming up. Do you need another cake topper? Here's our new collections. Here's like based on what you've purchased. And again, it's all you can do all this shit in segmentation with your email marketing if you're using Klaviyo, for example. But you could create these like little like segments of emails that are automated that go out without you doing anything other than setting it up the first time. But you could say, you know, let's send an email out to all of our past buyers and say, hey, like, do you need a new product? Do you have like we have all these new cake toppers. Um, You must have friends and family who have birthdays coming up. Here's an incentive for you. You can join our loyalty program. You can join our referral program. Same thing. Um, Most loyalty apps will have both um, rewards for spending more. And they also have something where you can refer a friend and get something in return. And you just ask them, join our loyalty program, join our referral program. Um, you can refer a friend and get this, or you can, you know, buy more or whatever. So like leveraging your past customers to buy more from you, but really refer friends and family. Cause when you have customers, they oftentimes have friends who will also like your product too. But what I see is that most people don't do this. They just gloss over it. They just think, Oh, I need to do more Instagram. I need to do more TikTok videos. Well, that takes up a lot of time and energy. And if you leverage things like email marketing, you can ask your customers to do those things for you. And then a proper like customer loyalty or referral program. This is my number two thing, even though I just kind of loop that into email marketing. Um, It's a separate thing. But I would do a loyalty program, even if that and I did a very I did a free DIY referral program, referral loyalty. So I would whenever a customer would tag me on social media, they would send an email and say, Oh my gosh, like we love the box. It's so cute. It's so fun. My and everyone would tell me about their dogs. My dog Asha like ripped up the toy in three minutes, but it made me so happy to watch her rip up your toy. We love you. Like I would get those every day. So do you want to know what I did every single time I had a happy customer or a customer service issue that was resolved, making the customer happy? I would pitch them very sneakily and indirectly. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy you loved our product. Did you know that you can win a free box of goodies for your dog? Here's how. You know, we have this um, referral program where if you refer a friend or family that buys a box or a subscription, you can get a free box. Here's how it works. We'll create a coupon code for you. So no apps, no, I didn't use some $100 a month app. I just, and this is manual, okay? But 
that's what I did back then. And I said, um, we'll create a coupon code for you. If anyone uses it, um, you get a free item. It's as easy as that. And I didn't stop there. I said, I made it easy for them to say yes. This is again, like people stop. They don't include a call to action. Make it easy for people. People don't want to go back and forth 20 times answering questions. So I would say most people will use their dog's name for their coupon code. Would you like me to make a coupon code for you? Just tell me your dog's name. And they'd write back always. Nine times out of 10. Oh my gosh, we would love to. My dog's name is Susan. Okay, cool. I'd create a coupon code. Say, hey, here's a coupon code. <laughs> Susan is like my go-to example. <laughs> I am dying laughing. I'm sorry. I'm trying to hold it in. Um, because what dog, like the picture a dog named Susan, what in your mind, like what breed is Susan? Susan's going to be like a real snobby dog, like snobby and serious, like a German shepherd. Yeah, definitely. Sorry to any Susans listening. Cause my dog is, is actually mostly, I say, I say she's a black lab, but she's actually mostly German shepherd. And she is so freaking serious. She'll just be outside staring at me, like glaring at me with giving me a dirty look. He's kind of a Susan. I mean, I love her, but she's a Susan. What do you like? What breed do you think a Susan named dog would be? I don't know. I really didn't have any idea. And that's why I was dying laughing. It is a great question. Why are you asking my question back to me? Shoot. I don't have an, I don't have a good, uh, I feel like I was thinking a chihuahua, maybe like a suit, like a little like perky face, but I think what you said is better. Okay. So you customize, I think what's cool. I totally got us off track. I'm sorry. I think what is really cool and interesting is you took your loyalty program and you found what, you know, made your customers obsessed with your brand and you found a way to personalize that. So I think the pet industry, people are obsessed with their pets, but for anybody listening, think about like, I guess what your customers are obsessed with or how you can make it really easy for them and what their pain point is or what they need and how could you make a program that makes them really excited to share it. Like I think skincare brands can, there's a lot you can do with that. Like there's, it's not just about, oh, do you need a re, do you need a reorder? Cause you might be out of your face cream, which I think is a good idea for an email automation, but like going a little bit deeper and like feeling confident in your skin and like going deep, what is the deeper connection that they have to your brand and what's going to make them want to talk about it to other people. I think that's like what you did, which is really amazing and so smart. And it's why I think you were so successful with that. So I think that that's just a awesome way to approach your loyalty program. Yeah. And I think just in general, like I know for me, I'm trying to think of a brand that I have, I don't know, nothing is coming to mind except Primally Pure, which is a skincare brand. But like they have a really great rewards program. The more you buy, the more, and it's completely automated. That's the thing. Like I love talking about things that can help you grow your business without you spending three hours making a damn reel on Instagram. Like I hate that. That's not my thing. I don't talk about Instagram to people. I don't teach it. I want nothing to do with it. Um, I want to help people make money and sales and grow their customer base without having to put in all the effort. Because all these things you set up one time, like a loyalty program, you set it up one time and then it's small maintenance, you know? So with a loyalty program, you know, it's something that you create up, you set up one time and then it's just small maintenance. So you might go in every month and just look at your analytics and say, okay, are we getting enough people to sign up? Are we, who's referring the most friends and family? So I really like to focus on things that help you grow your business without spending a lot of that, without requiring you to spend a lot of time. So that's a really important uh, factor here. And that's pretty much all the things and all the organic marketing uh, channels that I like to talk about, like affiliate marketing, you know, SEO in a sense, 
email marketing, customer loyalty programs. It's really things that you kind of set up once and then they continue to work for you. So yeah, loyalty programs are incredible. And like I use Primarily Pure, as I mentioned before, and they not only just give you more, they reward you for more, the more that you buy, but they also have a refer a friend and it's kind of listed everywhere. And it's like, if you share one little link and your friends buy, then you get, I don't know, like a $10 coupon or something. So it's like small things that you can do just to like make it easy for people to promote you. And I think you have to incentivize people. People want to be incentivized to do things. They might love your product, but if one, you're not asking them to promote it, you're not asking them, Hey, do you have any friends that might love it too? Here's a code, like make it easy for people to refer and two, incentivize them. No one wants to work for free. So why would you expect your customers to work for free? Give them a little incentivization. It could be a little coupon code. It could be, hey, for the first 50 people that refer friends and family, we're going to send you a $10 Starbucks card. Like get creative, have fun, do things out of the box. So yeah. Well, I think too, there is a resistance from a lot of people to have discounts or to give profit away because it's like this mindset of, I don't have the the room in my budget or my margin for that. But at the end of the day, this is a marketing cost and it's a customer acquisition cost. And you have to, you have to get your mindset out of, okay, well, if I do a referral, they get, you know, like they're giving 10 and they're getting 10. Let's just say that's $20. I don't have room in my budget for that. But how many times is that person going to come back and buy from you and then share it to their friends? And then they're, you know, they're going to, it's going to be a ripple effect. So it's going to decrease that value of the the cost to acquire that customer because they're going to be a lifelong customer that's obsessed with you and that's what you you teach your clients to do. I also love the conversation around automations and that's something for me that I wish I had been more thoughtful about when I first started and I'm kind of working backwards now having my business essentially work harder for me by creating more automations. I've had automations but they were just kind of like basic bitch automations to be honest and they weren't like really fully thought out and I'm kind of going backwards now and that's that's part of my lesson learned um, that I would have done differently in the beginning but are there any automations I guess specific with email that you would recommend either outside of the basic automations or just how to make basic automations better and really awesome for your brand? Absolutely. I love this question. So yeah, the biggest thing with automations are in the basic ones, I would say, and I'm going to say basic, but most people don't, don't even have these. So it's not really that basic. But <laughs> So your welcome sequence. So someone joins your email list, not your newsletter, that no one wants to join, but they join your email list because you've given them an incentive. And that like welcomes them to your brand and it nurtures them from a browser to a buyer. So your welcome sequence is really the most important sequence. I, I kind of struggle between saying that the welcome sequence or post-purchase because I think they're both equally. Um, but your welcome sequence is going to take someone and turn them into a customer for you. So that's really your most profitable and money-making or revenue-generating um, automation. For email marketing, I would say there's multiple ones, honestly. Um, and for that, you really just want to stop and think, okay, I don't want to send people boring emails just saying, buy my product, buy my product. Like if, I, if it's Boku, like buy my gift box. Here, here's a gift box, buy it. Like you have to, <laughs> you have to like, you have to put your, your shoes or whatever it's called. Like you have to put, jump into your consumer's brain and just ask yourself, 
what do I need to put in these emails to, to get them to want to buy from me and not my competitor or like not from Amazon? So I think a lot of people don't think about these too much. They just think, oh, I need to put them out into the world. So I'm just going to have like this boring email that just says like, here, welcome to our email list. Take $10 off. And like, that's the end of the email. And that's the end of the sequence. So not only do you want to push your incentivization. So if your email list is like, get free shipping with joining our email list or take $5 off or whatever it is, you want to really push that um, incentive. So all of your emails should remind them, don't forget to use your $5 off. Don't to get, don't forget to use your free shipping coupon or whatever it is. And then you also really want to take them in and introduce them to your brand, not just your product, your brand. Who are you? Who is the founder? What's your story? Um, are your, are your, products handmade and and hand tied dresses made in Bali. Like talk about your story. The story of your brand is something that so many people just hide away. They keep it locked in a closet. They don't tell anyone. And when you do that, you're just another faceless brand. And why would someone buy from you and not Amazon? Because Amazon, that's where we buy. We buy like I need a water bottle. I'm going to go to Amazon, type in water bottle, and you just choose whatever the hell, like the cheapest thing or the thing with good reviews and you buy it. You have no idea who it's from and you could care less. Um, So a small business needs to humanize. So share your story, talk about your bestsellers. If you have one hero product, make that product the focus of your emails. So your story, how it works, why people need it, what's a transformation, social proof, follow me on social media, like Choose one social media platform where you have the most sense of community and engagement and push people there. So usually it's going to be Instagram or TikTok Um, and just push the urgency to use that discount code. So I would say that's the welcome sequence. And that's really the quick and dirty version of like what you should include in that. But like, like you said, you said, oh, this is the basic things, but most people don't have those. I would say 80% of clients I work with don't even have, like they might have one email and then that ends. You're missing all the opportunity to nurture and get people to learn about you and be like, oh my God, I love that Kristen worked for anthropology. Like, oh my, yeah, of course I'm going to buy her boxes now. So those stories create connection and trust and they create like a sense of humanization. And when someone feels that towards your brand, they're more likely to buy from you. So that's one. I feel like I just talked a lot about the welcome sequence. The second sequence in automation, I would say, is the post-purchase. Equally as important, but this time, this is the sequence that um, happens after someone buys your product. So this is a sequence that is very overlooked by a lot of people. Someone buys your product and then you think, oh, okay, well, that's like the end of the conversation. But in fact, your post-purchase is where you want to be asking their customers to do things for you. So thank you so much for buying from us. Welcome, like welcome them, make them feel special. Make them feel like, wow, thank you for buying from me. Um, If there's things about your product that people need to know before they arrive or just making them aware, that's a great time to address those things. If they're common FAQs, like if you have a product and after people receive it, they start emailing you with the same question. How do I open this? How is this used? How do I use your face scrub? Do I put it on my feet or my face or my scalp? (laughs) It's a weird example. I know it's called face. I know it's called face scrub, but where do I use it? (laughs) 
Well, so you ha- you can't assume. I think people, I think that you assume we're so close to our product, but like the person that's receiving it blindly for the first time, do they know how to assemble it? I think that that's a really great call out to address the questions before they get it. And it kind of gives you a reason to show up in their inbox before they've even received their order. Yes, exactly. Like don't assume that people know how to use your product because if it's anything out of the normalcy, then they don't know and you need to tell them. Direct them to um, a YouTube video that just walks you through, hey, here's how to clean these doormats or whatever your product is. Um, And then after that, it's really just getting them excited for the product to come. And then the email should really be focused around now that the customer has your product, how can you get them to do things for you? So this is such an important thing and a missed opportunity. If you're not asking your customers, again, in this one sequence that you set up one time to take photos of your product, post on social media, um, refer a friend, join the loyalty program, you know, leave a review. If you're not asking customers to do those things, they're not going to do them for you. So those kind of things are really, really important. And then at the end of that automation, I think it's always good to say, you know, uh, is there another incentive you could throw at them to buy something else? Or if your product is highly giftable. So if you have like a candle business, for example, maybe one of your last emails could encourage you to maybe send a candle to a friend or like, hey, do you need a candle for another gifting opportunity? Here's a coupon or something. Here's 10, 10% off, you know? Um, so just kind of giving them another incentive, I think is, is always good. And then the last one I'm going to mention, cause I'm really rambling about emails here is your cart abandonment. And this one kills me when people don't have this set up because did you know that seven out of 10 shopping carts are abandoned at the checkout page? Seven out of 10. It's an astrologically, astronomically, I just said astrologically, astronomically high number. So what the cart abandonment does is it acts on your behalf to retrieve some of those sales. So those emails um, are going to be a lot more basic. And if you have Klaviyo, for example, they give you the templates already there. You can just, you know, tweak them for your uh, for your brand. But you want to be sending your customers emails that say, hey, you left something in your cart. Like, come grab it before we sell out or something. Even if it's just a couple emails, they will recover some sales because, you um, People sometimes just, there's a million reasons why people abandon their shopping carts. The number one reason is unexpected high shipping charges. But other reasons are like they didn't have a credit card on them and you don't take PayPal. Their shop pay didn't work. That's happened to me a million times. Shop pay sometimes just does not work for me. I don't know why. It'll say card declined. I don't know. Whatever, Shopify. I love you. But like shop pay is not my friend sometimes. <laughs> or their kid distracted them and they had to like close their... Like, you assume that, oh, if they didn't buy, they don't want to buy. No, that's not it, Susan. They just, they're fucking busy and distracted. They don't have a credit card. You're making them go from upstairs watching TV. They're watching Housewives and you're going to make them go downstairs to get their credit card. And guess what? They, they're not going to go. They're just going to X out of that cart. So it's your job to remind them that they still have things waiting for them. So I, I'm laughing and, and poking fun at people, but, and you know, to be honest, I didn't have these in my business for a long time in my first business. So we all have learning opportunities here. So yeah, those are like the three automations that are the basic ones, but most people still don't even have those. So I'm only going to focus on those because I think I just talked a lot about email, but it's so important. And I can't stress, I cannot stress it more because when you have these emails set up for you, You literally, it is the one true passive income. We say passive income a lot, 
But when it comes to passive income for a product-based business, I think email marketing is really the only passive income. I mean, you you set it up one time and then it just works for you. So there are other things that, that are passive, but this truly is passive. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to like making your business work for, work for you once you get your customers in and on your email list, which is like a whole other conversation. But once you get them in there, then your business, you don't have to work so hard to for every dollar that you're bringing in. There are some things you can do, like what you were just talking through. So I, I mean, I asked you the questions and I'm so happy you answered the way you did. So you did not ramble on about email marketing. I mean, you love it so much that you just launched a new email marketing society membership. So I want you to talk about that because it's so awesome and it was a successful launch and I'm so happy for you. So please talk about that a little bit. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so we just launched a new, um, it's a template based membership. So basically, and I can talk really quickly, briefly about the backstory of why I launched it, but there is a reason. Um, it's basically a membership where each week we'll send you a pre-written email and it's going to be completely and exclusively catered to the product-based e-com world. So all the things that product people need to be sending to their email list, but we're writing it for you. So we're taking the guesswork out. We're sending you a pre-written email that you can take and then personalize for your business in just a few minutes, honestly. And yeah, we just launched it. Was it a week ago? It feels like a long time, but I think it was actually a week ago. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the backstory to that is I have been listening to people for three years now tell me on a daily basis, I don't know what to send to my email list. I don't know what to send people. I don't know what to say. And so what happens is when you don't know what to say to your email list, just like if you don't know what to post on Instagram, what happens? You have no strategy. And two, you're not consistent. So I have so many people that tell me, oh, I haven't emailed my list in seven months. I'm like, what? What? Seven months? So it happens all the time. I'm not here to, to poke fun. It's normal. It happens. But like, that's why people like me create offers for people because I see a need. I hear the need every single day. So we're like, okay, people don't know what to say to their email list. Me and the girl on my team love email marketing. Hmm. I think we have some opportunity here. So yeah. So now we launched this thing. It's 10 bucks a month. And we basically will send you pre-written emails that you can customize for your brand. You add in your personality, you add in your own stories, you highlight your own products. Um, and then we'll also have, you know, trainings like basic email marketing trainings, like how to grow your email list, um, how to set up your automations. Like I just talked about those three automations, how to create those. We just give you a lot of resources when it comes to email. It's not just the weekly email. It's, it's sort of like, how do I, how do I understand email marketing for a product business? And then we give you the tools to sort of implement it. So yeah, I'm, I'm super psyched. I mean, it's, like, I don't I don't even think I shared with you, actually. Someone emailed me today and they were like, I, <laughs> I used your template that you sent out on Monday. So today's Wednesday. They were like, I used your um, simple sales email on Monday. And she was like, I made $820 from the one email. And she wrote, that's a, she wrote, that's a, that's a pretty good investment for $10 because the membership is $10. And I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) put that on your sales page immediately. That's an amazing, I mean, that's so amazing. I know. Like I was like, what's the ROI there? I don't know, like eight, 
80,000 or I don't know how much it is. It's like insane. That's a thing. Like you have to be emailing your list. You have to have a strategy. And I see so many people not having it. So that's why we created this, honestly. Um, I'm such a passionate person when it comes to email marketing because I love stuff that can make you money in sales without you having to show up every day, you know, all that kind of horseshit that we have to do for social media. Um, but also like you're nurturing your, your email list. You're like, not everyone wants to open your emails. You will get unsubscribes. Like that's part of the game. But if you're not emailing your list, you're missing an opportunity. And not to mention the fact that like you own your email list, you do not own social media. You don't own TikTok. You don't own anything. If you're on Etsy, if you're on Amazon, um, it's really important for you that you have these pockets of control in your business. And if your Instagram account got hacked and turned off, how would you sell a product? I'm going to leave you with that note because it's very important. And if you have an email list, you have a way to sell. You have a way to make money. I see a lot of people that are reliant on one channel. They're, they have 50,000 Instagram followers. That's where all their sales come through. That's very That's great. I'm happy. But that makes me scared for you because if your account got hacked, what would you do? Someone in one of my programs before, because I recognize her her name, she, well, she didn't because her account got hacked. She has, I don't know how many, 10,000 followers on Instagram. She has like a party store in, I think, in California. But she messaged me yesterday and I was like, oh, let's see what she said. And it was like, Bitcoin, da, 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 da. And the, that account sent me like six different messages. And I was like, oh my God, her account, her account was hacked. And I looked at it from a different account. Like I looked at her account from a different Instagram page and it was, it went to private. So yeah, I think her account got hacked and it's like, that's why I like all these other things. And one of my clients, like I talk about this all the time on my podcast, they, I started all their direct to consumer um, marketing for them. So I launched their Instagram, all that. I grew it to, I think they had 12,000 followers. It took, took me two years to grow it slow, but you know, whatever. And it got, it didn't get hacked, but it got disabled because of a different issue, which I won't get into really stupid issue. And they lost 12,000 followers overnight. For me, I was like, okay, this is, this is crappy because they did get a lot of sales from Instagram, but it was okay. It wasn't a catastrophe because we had all the, like all the other stuff I talk about, I had set up for them. They have a very robust affiliate program. They make, I get notifications five, 10 times a day about sales that have come through from them through affiliate marketing. Um, We work with influencers. We had, we have blog posts that bring in upwards of 10 to 15,000 website visitors per blog every single year. You know, we have half a million to a million monthly views on Pinterest. Like we have all these pockets of ways to get, and we have an email list. I say we like it's my business. It's not my business, but it's my client. But I treat my clients like they're my business. I'm like, it's my business. Um, So like that 12,000 follower loss, it sucked and it definitely hit revenue, but it wasn't like their business was over because we had set up all these other things. So I have to really stress this because I think it's really easy to think, oh, well, that won't happen to me, but it, it can happen to anyone. So I completely agree. I think that you're, when people sign up for your email, they are giving you access to direct access to them. And they know when they're on social media that they may or may not see your posts or your reels or whatever. But with email, they will see it. Whether they unsubscribe or not, you are a reminder in their inbox. So being consistent is super, super important. And you're 
membership idea is genius. And so I'm super excited for you. I will link it in the show notes. So if people are interested, they can grab that link and come become a subscriber because for $10 a month, if you have the potential to make 800 from one email, hell yes, you should be doing that. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I'm so grateful to you for your time today. I feel like we're a little bit over, so I appreciate you spending the time with me and giving your insights and just being amazing. Thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you and thank you for having me on. I'm so grateful. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Bye. All right. That's all I've got for you today. I am so glad that you're here. If you are loving the show, I would be beyond grateful if you would just take a minute to rate and review this podcast just to help spread the word. Now there's something in it for you too, as a little thank you. If you leave a review, share a screenshot or just share the show to your stories and tag me at product to profit coach on Instagram. You'll be entered to win my new monthly giveaway where you'd win a hot seat coaching call with me. You'd have the option to record it live on this podcast, which not only would be so much fun, but would also give your amazing brand some visibility and you a quick win. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope that you absolutely crush your sales this week.